last thing he ever said to me was, I'll be back tomorrow, but he never came back. My mom died when I was seven years old. I did breathing exercises with her and called 911, and they took her away, and then I just fell into this deep depression, and I'm still in it. You don't know if you'll ever feel better, like, like if this is just like a lifelong thing. And it is, because it never goes away, it just changes. So you just, you don't get rid of the pain, you just make room for it. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start, do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Oh yeah, what's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok, where I found our guest today. So you got to stop by TikTok, see what's going on over there. But you're tuned in to our nationwide search and we're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. We want to dig into their origins every single week with you. And joining me virtually in the studio today, I have an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. Sarah Darren with Experience Camps. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. And like I said, this is one that I'm so excited for. And I say that every single week, but this one has such a personal connection with me that it just means something a little different and a little bit, a little more serious. But we're still going to keep it lighthearted. We're still going to have some great conversations. And I can't wait to jump into that with you. But like I told you before we start the show, we always start out with an icebreaker question. So today's question is, when is the most interesting period of history for you? Just like globally, the whole world, what's the most interesting period of time for you? My gosh, I get more nervous about an icebreaker than I do like the whole <laughs> conversation. Because you're not used to the icebreaker question. You're not ready for it yet. No, I'm not. So like in the whole world you're talking about. Yeah, the, the whole, whole history of everything. What's yeah. the most interesting time period to you? I think, I mean, my first reaction, I'll just go with that, is right yep. now. I think that from everything I've heard and read and learned in the world, this is such an unprecedented time for so many reasons in history. And I think when we go back in the history books 100 years from now, people are going to look back at this period of time as probably the most impactful in history and the biggest inflection point for whichever right. way it's going to inflect. And we don't know that yet, right? But I think it's probably right now and we don't even fully know that yet. Yeah, my answer was very similar for that. Now, of course, I always get to cheat because I'm the one who chooses the icebreaker <laughs> no, questions. So I pulled some really interesting <laughs> stats to go with mine. And I didn't do that to sound like I'm smarter than you or better. I'm better prepared. Okay, I cheated. But it's so similar. My answer is basically like our recent history, the past 20 to 30 years, because a long time ago, I saw some stat and I'll butcher it. So I'm just going to say generally, vaguely what it said was something along the lines of like the past 20 or 30 years humans have advanced more technologically than we have in our entire human history. So from the caveman days up until, let's say, the 70s, 80s, or 90s, we have advanced more from then until now than we ever have our entire lives. And it's like, it's so mind-blowing to think of all the things when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s of technology, where it was and where it wasn't, to where we're at today. So I pulled some really interesting stats that said on a global scale, less than 7% of the world was online in 2000. And today, over half of the global population has access to the internet. Mind-blowing. Like, that's, that's a huge number of people to have access to the internet. Like, it's truly doing what it was supposed to do when it was invented. We're all connected worldwide. And I think it plays into what you said of we're in an unprecedented time where we can communicate so easily. And it, it's proof of why we're here today on this podcast, because less than a week ago, I mean, I think it was probably what, three, four days ago, I emailed you one night with this sobbing, begging email of like, I have to have you on the show because I was watching TikTok and I connected with you on the Eastern time zone while I'm sitting here in Central Standard Time. Just in an instant, I connected to your story because I was able to see a video that touched me on TikTok and then research your company online. And then thankfully, you have a nice, robust contact us page that had 
your name, your title and your email directly. So I could say, Hey, I got to have you on the show and here's why. And it's like, that would never would have happened in the eighties or nineties. We'd have busted out our yellow pages and I'd have had to look up random names until I found the right one and see how I can get in touch with this person. It's just yeah, mind you would blowing. Have called and I probably would have answered because there was no phone number that came up that I would recognize. <laughs> just blindly, you know, with no caution at all. We were just answering all these phone calls. And speaking of phones, that was the other stat that I pulled was that cell phones, when it comes to using them at the start of the 2000s, there were 740 million cell phone subscriptions worldwide. And two decades later, that number has surpassed 8 billion, meaning there are now more cell phones in the world than people. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't until so I was actually managing ambulance companies for a while and I had two phones. I had a business phone and then I had my personal phone because I didn't want to mix them, which now talking about technological advances, you can have two phone numbers on your phone. That's what I do currently. So I've got my and we're gonna talk about this, I know, in our conversation today, but no wonder everyone's so tired. All of that advancement in such a short period of time, like our brains need time to catch up to all that. And it's that probably hasn't as advanced as quickly as the technology has, which is another oh, whole chapter. You're 100 percent correct. Question. Yeah, and, and I mean, even going with the changes we have seen as far as being able to get mental health online and stuff now too. You're right; it yep. still just isn't there. Yeah, I'm one that daily I struggle with that, trying to separate my work life and get that work life balance so that my personal life doesn't suffer, and then. I have to hear my wife say, can you close the laptop and be with us now? And then I have to hear work say, hey, can you you get this done for me real quick? It's a balance. So you're right. <laughs> well, I always have to stop and talk about Beefy Marketing for a second, because without them, I wouldn't be able to be here in this beautiful studio, this beautiful virtual studio and have guests like ours today that are on. But speaking of podcasting, podcast advertising has been blowing up and Buzzsprout has some interesting numbers that they shared for their October 2022 update on these numbers and said that 79% of Americans are familiar with podcasting. 62% of those have listened to a show and 26% of them listen every single week, which means that each week more Americans listen to podcasts than have a Netflix account, which is mind blowing. 66% of listeners have a college degree, which is a bachelor's or higher. And the average annual household income is $75,000 a year or more. And the more astonishing numbers is that in the advertising sector, 60% of listeners have bought something from a podcast ad and 81% say they pay more attention in podcast ads than they do traditional advertising like billboards, radio, TV, commercials, even digital ads on social media. So if you have a business and you want to grow your reach, consider podcast advertising. Beefy Marketing would love to talk to you about the several shows they're involved with and get you a consultation today. www.beefymarketing.com for more information. But of course, the reason we're here, Sarah, we want to talk to you about experience camps. But before we hop into that, I just want to know everything because I found out a whole bunch of information about experience camps, but I want to know about you. Where'd you come from and why were you so drawn to creating something like this? Yeah, it's, it's probably not your traditional nonprofit founder story. Because I founded an organization for grieving children, I think most people assume that that was my origin story. And I'll, I'll cut to the chase there. It wasn't. Okay. My story goes back to you know childhood, very typical childhood. My parents were both alive still. Grew up in New Jersey, went to college, became a computer programmer. And sort of evolved through the lines of business into a business analyst, ended up in the finance world doing technology, project management. I mean, really, I was like, I'm an analyst. I like getting into, I love spreadsheets. Like I love data and details and things like that. And I was very much in that world, in the business world. I was working for a number of financial services institutions and I went to business school to further my education in that realm. And it is there that I met my husband who was of the class of you know, investment bankers and venture capitalists and business people in that class. He was the one and only summer camp owner and director. Oh. And <laughs> one thing led to another. We ended up married and together and you know, eventually starting a family. And I was still in that financial services world and found myself needing to make a decision about where our lives physically would land. The camp that we own is in Maine. And it wasn't really feasible to spend my summers in my, my year in New York City when he was spending his summers in Maine. So 
kind of made a decision with the assistance of the financial decline of 2008 when I was laid off from my job in one of those investment banks when I was nine months pregnant. And I said, well, I guess this is the time. <laughs> this is the time that I'm going to, we're going to bring our lives together in the professional sense. So at that point, there was a moment where I said, you know, I don't want to just come into camp. I, I didn't go to summer camp as a kid. It was not my world at that time. And it's like, I don't want to just come in here and say like, I'm the, you know, the owner's wife, I'm going to work here now. I want my own thing. It also kind of merged nicely with my intention. I'd always wanted to do something in the world of philanthropy and the way of giving back. I'd always volunteered and my parents were school teachers. It was just sort of part of my fiber and I hadn't gone that way professionally, but here was an opportunity, right? Where we had this amazing summer camp in Maine. It's a boys camp, still is a boys traditional summer camp, overnight camp. And yet it was for kids who could afford to go to that camp, which is amazing. I mean, it's the most, and I, you know, over the years that I was dating and then married my husband, I witnessed so many transformative character building. It's just like, it's the fiber of kids. Anybody that goes mm -hmm. to camp will tell you, like it becomes part of who they are as their character. And yet it's not necessarily available to all the kids who could really benefit from it. So around that time, we started developing a nonprofit. We started filing the paperwork. We were going to do something. It was going to be my thing to kind of allow kids or bring kids in that otherwise wouldn't be able to go to summer camp and run our own programs. And as we were doing that, there was another program, another camp in Maine, a girls camp that had reached out to a few camps and said, hey, we're running this bereavement camp for girls, but they all have brothers. And we're looking for a program that would run a boys program. Is that something you would be interested in doing? And we were like, yeah, yeah, that fits. <laughs> you know, that's, we got this nonprofit now. It kind of fits with what the mission was that we had started out for. And also never would have thought of that. It's one of those things that if you are not a person who was a grieving child or has grieving or knows, you don't really think about it. But once mm -hmm. you see it, once you think about it, you can't stop thinking about it. So we kind of got going on that track. This was now in 2009. So we're, we're opening our first camp. We got a clinical director. So somebody who knew the bereavement side of things. We knew the camp side of things at this point. We had this amazing camp program. And we brought in those, those brothers and a few extra kids that would start this program. So in 2009, we opened the doors, what was then called Manitou Experience. It was just a one program, one location, and brought 27 boys. We had about 30 volunteer counselors, many of whom were Manitou's alumni and friends. And we winged it. I mean, we had all the good stuff in place, right? We had a great program. We had the clinical support. We had bereavement expertise. But we also didn't know what was about to happen. So that first year, I can still picture, and I think of this often, that first van, we sent a, a van down to New Hampshire to pick up two of the kids and a bus to Massachusetts to get some other kids. And I can remember the New Hampshire van pulling in right into the middle of camp and out popped these two kids. And it was just like, here we go, right? Like when you have that, I don't know if you had this experience, but when there's those inflection moments in your life, they kind of burn into your brain in a way that you can feel all the senses of that moment, right? Like yep. I can still picture those kids. I can hear their feet hitting the pavement when they got out of the van, just all of the things. I was so aware and alert of all that I was taking in without even knowing it. Big one for um, me, and every, Yes, smells, sounds, yep. all of that. That's how your memory actually remembers things. <laughs> but I can remember every moment of that week just like that, right? Like the crackling of the fire and the sharing circles and it just rolled from there. We had such an incredible, intense, beautiful, amazing week. And we got to the end of the week and said, well, we're going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just, it kept growing. It was just the swipe of that match that lit a fire. And it's been an incredible ride ever since. Yeah, we talked uh, a little bit on the last episode I had about that divine intervention or that manifest destiny, you know, whatever you subscribe to and, and want to call it, it's like you're put in places you need to be and things happen for a reason. It's something I've struggled with even through the loss that I went through of trying to figure out why. And always I'm an inquisitive person, something that even at the fire department where I work full time, I've kind of struggled with that. Before I was an officer, I was just a fireman. And then when I was a firefighter promoting to driver, I was just a driver. And it was like, there's a lot of things you're not privy to know, even now as an officer, that I don't get to know some of these things, but I always want to know. And it's like, I'm not saying you have to tell me, but I want to ask why. And when you go through something like loss, you can't ask that question because there's no answer to it. 
-hmm. And then it's like the answer has to come with experience and time. And then you figure out, okay, well, I get it. I'm here and went through this because of where I'm at now. And it's the same thing. Like everything in life just leads you up to finding this random guy you're attracted to that happens to own a summer camp that now all of a sudden you get this phone call and it's like all the dots connect. And then you're doing something so great and so big. How many states are y'all in now with experience camps? So we're opening our sixth location next summer, 2023. So we'll be in six states. We have a boys program and a girls program in each of those locations. So 12 programs overall, which this summer, next summer will be 1200 kids across the country. Wow. So from that 27 that we started with, again, it's been, <laughs> it's been a ride. It's been a journey. And, you know, I know this is a lot of what you talk about on this podcast. Like this has also been a business that we've grown, yep. right? Like it's, it is a full of purpose and full of great things kind of business, but all of the elements of scaling and growth and human resources and all of the things that come with that has also been part of that journey, which has been really exciting, really interesting, amazing growth for for all of us who've been involved since the beginning. But we always, I mean, speaking of your, you mentioned the word why, like we always come back to the why. And yeah. I think that has been what makes this as purposeful, but also as successful as it's been, because we are a collection of people, hundreds and hundreds of people between our volunteers and full-time staff and seasonal staff, we all share the same why in terms of the big picture. And then everybody has a bit of their own why in terms of what brings them there. There's so much richness in the experiences that are brought to this organization from every person that's involved with it. And that has been, I think, what defines who we are, is that collection of experiences, that collection of of why. Yeah. And something I really like too, because like I said, you know, as soon as I saw this video on TikTok, I went and read so much of your website. And I love the fact that just like your origin story, you don't have to suffer loss as a child to be able to take part and give back and have a reason to be there. You know, you can come volunteer. I saw on the website, no matter what your story is, if you're a really good photographer, if you're a licensed professional counselor, if you want to come in and volunteer in any aspect of this. You don't have to have gone through losing someone as a child. You just have to have that reason to be there. And like we saw with your story, that reason to be there just so happens to be that it's something you care about and something you wanted to do to give back. So I think it's amazing what y'all are doing. I told you a long time ago, well, a couple of days ago, <laughs> I wish you were in Texas already. Like uh, I wish I would have found y'all a long time ago and I wish that I could have partook in this a long time ago. But just like you said, that's one of the reasons we have nonprofits on here is because y'all are a business just like any other business. The only difference is your tax status is different. The tax forms that you have to put in at, you know, every quarter at the end of the year are just a little different than a for-profit company, but you're still a company. You have hundreds of people to manage, whether it's paid staff, volunteer staff, you have donations that come in that you have to manage. You have to allocate those funds to the, I mean, you're still doing all the spreadsheet stuff you loved in business school, all the <laughs> exactly. stuff that I hated in business school. So I'm with you there as far as this is definitely a business. It is so deserving to be here. And, and our listeners know, cause we've brought so many great nonprofits to this show already. So they're aware of the behind the scenes business part of that. I just want them to find out today all about experience camps and I want to encourage them to kind of move into it because I don't know how many people listening know my personal story, but I'm a guy that when I was 14 years old, I lost my dad and uh, it was suddenly he was 52 years old. It's not like he was 80 and we've been dealing with this and he was sick or anything else to us. As far as we knew, he was healthy and it was just one day I woke up and it was actually New Year's Day. So, you know, I'm waking up in the morning to my sister and my mom and my brother-in-law standing there telling me, hey, your dad's dead. And all of a sudden, and I'm trying to get through this episode without crying because it is, it's such a hard topic to talk about, but all of a sudden, my life changed. And what I think is important here, because let me sidetrack and say that I'm a person who I've been to camp once, summer camp once, and I'm with you on what you said in the very beginning, that it is such a great experience for young men, young women who are growing up because there are lessons learned there that you just can't learn at home. And there are things that you bond with your other campmates that you can't get by just being friends with somebody down the street. Like it's a totally different experience when you're at camp. And it is, it's amazing. Mine was a church camp. I was sponsored because I grew up 
like you said, without access to be able to go to camps financially, we just couldn't do it. So it wasn't something I got to partake in a whole lot. But then when I did get to go, I truly enjoyed it. But when I suffered this loss, it was all on me because my mom walked in and we look at our parents and we expect like when your kid goes through something hard, the parents who have gone through it before are there to guide them. And I think that it's true until that parent hasn't been there before, or you're talking about a child losing a parent or both parents. Now who's supposed to guide them? Now, who do they turn to? And even my own mother was like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do for you. I need you to tell me what you need. And I'm like, how am I supposed to tell you what I need? I'm 14. Like, and I didn't, I didn't hold it against her that she didn't know because I knew even to this day, when I see someone else, I saw on your website, it says like, what do you say? And it's like, write all the things that you wish people could have said or would have said, or that you want to hear. And it's like, I don't know what would have made me feel better when I was 14 years old and I'm 34 now. And I don't know when another lieutenant at our fire station lost his father a few years back. And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't know what to say to you, man, because I've been there. So that's all I can say is I've been there. I love you and I'm sorry, but it's like, I'm sorry. doesn't even help. I'm sorry. doesn't fix it. Condolences don't fix it. And I know it sounds so wrong, but I say all of that to say that camp is so important because this is a group of individuals coming together who may not know exactly what to say for every child in every situation, but generally know how to handle it and give these kids something to cope with and give these kids someone else to go through that experience with because they don't have to say anything between each other because they're peers. It's not an adult coming to a child. So I know that you can tell that story a whole lot better than I can of what exactly this camp means to these kids and what y'all do and what y'all need. I just had to like interject there and throw in that I wish this was something I had when I was going through it. Because even as an adult, you know, I was 24 years old when I lost my mom and she was 51. And it's like, even as an adult at 24, I didn't feel like an adult that knew how to cope with that. And I'm still, if we're being honest, still not coping with it correctly, even at 34 years old. I've spoken to one psychiatrist one time, a therapist that I got to sit down and tell my story to. And it's like, it's so important to have something like this. So tell us what it takes to come to, let's just start with what it takes to come to your camp and what y'all are doing to help get those kids there, whether they can afford it or not. Ooh, okay. First of all, <laughs> before I, get, I just want to thank you for sharing that with me and with yeah. all of us. I mean, that takes some bravery even after all this time to just say those words. And I know that because I've seen many kids struggle and, and adults, certainly probably more the adults than the kids in some cases, yeah. struggle to say the words. And the fact that you are doing that and modeling that here will help other people do that and model it. And that's so important. And that's what we do also, finding those words, giving the platforms, the youth voices that can define and, and explain their own grief, which is what you just did. Right. There were so many nuggets in there that I want to unpack what you just shared. That I didn't so even mean to go off on a big tangent like that. It's no, just this was story. one that why we're I, here. Tried to, I tried to express it in that email to you of how much this really meant to me to have this episode today. I don't think anyone can understand how much I connect to what y'all are doing. So this is all just to glorify what y'all are doing and get that word out for sure. And I have one more question before I, and I don't even Absolutely. remember what your question was now, but did you, <laughs> when you were 14 and your dad died, did you know anyone else around your age that had somebody die and a dad die? Honestly, I, not that I can remember. There was nobody that I could think of that I would be like, man, all right, I got to call this person. Cause you know, my, my sister, she was 18 when I was born. I didn't even have that. Like I'm going through this with my sister. Don't get me wrong. We relied on each other heavily. But I didn't have that sibling to reach out to. It's one of the reasons I have three kids today is because mm -hmm. I had my son and I was like, I'm good. All I had to do was procreate someone who can procreate more Kellys. That's all I got to do. And it turned into two sons and a daughter. And when we had the second one, it was my daughter. And I was like, well, this is truly perfect now. I got a boy and a girl. I'm good. Like, sew it up. We're done. This is over. Mm -hmm. I'm not having any other kids. And I think it was... One of my sisters came to me and she said, can you imagine going through what you went through without your siblings? Don't do that to your kids. Mm. And I was like, God, 
all right, well, throw it down hard on me then. Okay, let's have another one so that it's like at least there's a group of siblings that can go through this together. And and they're better set up than us because I have two half sisters and a half brother. So I always joke and say Papa was a rolling stone. But uh, I've got two half sisters, one from my mom and then one from my dad. And then I've got a half brother that we actually just found, I think, three years ago now. And we're all adults. Ancestry DNA, another technology yeah. that kind of advanced that. And so we, we got in contact with my brother and it's like just more grief there. He never got to meet my dad before he passed. So the first time he met his brother and sister, he had to go to the grave to see his dad's grave. So to answer your question, no, I don't think there was anybody I could reach out to later in high school. It happened, but Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't. Yeah. So now I want to do what we call normalizing, which is such an important part of what we do at camp, right? These kids come to camp. So just kind of give you some general numbers. Kids that come to camp are grades four through 12. So you have a really wide range of ages and experiences. The kids could have lost somebody before they were born. They could have lost somebody six months ago. It could have been sudden. It could have been an illness. I mean, we've, we've got everything. Sibling loss as well. Anybody who is significant and meaningful in their everyday life. So you really see a range of experiences. And You see a range of experiences, period, because every single grief story, every person's grief is individual to them. So what you just shared with me is your story. It was so unique to you and the memories that you have of even finding out that he died and your mom's experience and your siblings and all the other siblings. And yet such common themes from what we hear from a lot of kids at camp. The fact that you felt alone in that. You might not have known. Most kids will say they don't know somebody else that is going through what they're going through at that time. And yet, we also know that 5.6 million children in the United States will grieve the death of a parent or sibling by the time they turn 18. Millions, millions of kids are grieving, but they don't know each other. And that has a lot to do with the way we talk about grief or don't talk about grief. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. So you might be sitting next to somebody in your class and not even know that that person lost their dad five years ago, because when are you going to talk about that at school? You know, it's not like you're walking down the hallway or going to lunch and be like, Hey, my dad died. What about you? You know, that doesn't happen at camp. That happens, right? You will literally, because the kids come, they get off the bus from the second they are there, even on the bus, they know that everyone around them gets it. There's some element of them. They have a shared story. They have a shared bond that they don't need to talk about it, but they want to talk about it most of the time. And you will literally, I mean, I, this is my, one of my favorite things about the camp experience is how that moment will happen when you're walking down the road to the dining hall and a kid will turn to you and be like, my dad died. What about you? Like, why are you here? Right? Like it's the words are spilling out of them because they haven't had that place to share those words other than this first moment, or if they've come back year after year, every time they come back to camp. So there's that, right? There's the isolation of not knowing anybody. And then even with a family structure, like you described, you could have the biggest family, but everybody is going through their own thing. Your mom was grieving the loss of her husband, I assume. She is grieving the family that is now changed. She's worried about you and your siblings because she doesn't know how to parent grieving kids. Like there's so much going on for her. Your sibling, you have an 18 year old sister. She's having a totally different level and experience with grief. Her relationship with your dad was different, all those things, right? So even though you all lost the same person, you've all lost different people in your lives. Right. So there's isolation and, and some loneliness often in that. So That's all to say, everything you just said to me is so normal. It's so typical of the experience that grieving kids, especially adolescents have, where, you know, you have a lot of times the younger kids, it's very fact-based. They know that somebody has died. They want to know how their lives have changed. They're still a little bit narcissistic in that way, developmentally. (laughs) Yeah. Naturally, that's just how little kids are. 100%. (laughs) Yep. But then they grow up. And as they get older, they're going to start to realize what that loss means for them in their whole lives. And as you go into the teen years, it's not just like, oh, this person isn't here to drive me to soccer practice. It's like, oh, this person isn't going to be here at graduation or when I get married or when, and it keeps going. So the realizations and the awareness around their grief evolves as they developmentally grow up. I'm sharing that because as I said, we have kids that are going into grades four through 12. And part of our model is that they come back every year. About Mm -hmm. 85 to 90% of kids come back every year and continue with us for years and years and then even go on to be volunteers because their grief changes as they grow up. 
And we want to be there with them as they do that. So you had, I think I'm going to go back to the, I just went off on a total tangent <laughs> hey, there. Hey, no, <laughs> I, I know this is all like loaded questions. And honestly, this podcast is always supposed to be that, just a conversation. So I, I think this is going perfectly. Like we're hitting so many topics. I love it. All right, good. So how do kids find out about how do they get to us? It's a lot of word of mouth. We do a lot of outreach when we go into new communities where we are opening camps and we tell guidance counselors and bereavement centers and hope that the information gets to the kids who need it. And it does. We fill up every year. Interestingly, and I mention this because of the way you came to me in this conversation, is TikTok is blowing up both with camper applications, volunteer applications. We have never seen as many applications as we are getting right now. And that has a lot to do with social media. So that's been in sort of an interesting new element of our of our existence. But regardless of how they get there, they fill out an application. One of our clinicians does an intake with the caregiver just to make sure they know what they're getting into when they come to camp and they understand kind of what this is all about and that we can make sure that that child is emotionally ready for camp, ready to kind of come into a community space about grief. And most of the time they are, right? But we just want to make sure we're we're doing our due diligence. And then they come to camp. So we have buses from around the region of each camp. We bring them all together. They arrive at camp, usually very nervous, especially when they're new, right? Yeah. Like think about it. Your mom says to you, you're 14 years old, hey, I found this great program. I'm going to put you on a bus, send you off with strangers. You're not going to know anybody. And you're going to go to camp for a week and talk about grief. Sound good? <laughs> Most kids, like 99.9%, like, hell no, that does not sound good. No, it's yeah. Want to do. I'm pretty and, extroverted. I mean, I, I host a podcast and I think even I would have been like, mm, I'll try it out, but I'm, this isn't style. okay. <laughs> yeah. it's when you describe yeah. it that way, right? But the kids, they will come. There's probably some element of them that knows this is going to be okay or their parent or caregiver kind of shoves them on the bus and closes the door. But they arrive at camp and you can see that nervousness in the way they come off the bus. And just picture now the scene, you're coming off of that bus and you look out and there's a sea of people cheering and dancing and holding up signs. And it's like, it's a rave. It's like a dance party. That music is blasting. And you can literally see the kids coming off the bus and like their shoulders come down a little bit. Their smile goes up a little bit and they're like, oh, okay, I think this is going to be all right. And from that point forward, we're like, we are going the first day, the first whole day that they're there. We're doing tug of war, we're doing games, we're doing, you know, getting to know each other, we're dancing, we're singing, we're partying. It's meant to break down those walls of fear and anxiety that the kids come in with by just saying, like, we're gonna have a good time here. Just get to know each other, connect with each other. You're all here for the same reason. And that first night of camp at every one of the locations, we have a campfire. And it's with that exact message in mind, right? So we gather everybody up after this day of partying and music and dancing and sports and all the things that we do. And everyone sits down and it's dark at this point, the campfire's crackling. And it's our first moment of just like, let's quiet it all down. We're going to bring it down a bit. And we're going to talk about very gently and very lightly why we're here, right? And it's like, look around you, look to your left and look to your right. Everyone here has had somebody really important to them that died. And we're going to spend the week together just leaning into that, being in whatever space you need to be in, whether that is releasing that grief and ignoring the grief so you can just lean into childhood or making space for the grief that you don't have space for anywhere else because you're holding up the walls for everyone else in your family. Whatever that case is, right? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned before something about kind of that power of summer camp when you go away and like all that character building. I, I'd mentioned it earlier too. Yep. A big part for the kids and why we have an overnight away from your parents summer camp is that, like I said before, the caregivers are also grieving. There's so much responsibility on a grieving child to be a certain way, to support people, to act a certain way. Why aren't they crying? Why are they crying so much? Whatever that is, right? They come to camp and it's just like, you be you. Whatever you need to be right now is all we're asking of you. Just be in your place, be in your grief, your joy your sadness, your regret, whatever those feelings are. And guess what? They might all show up at the same time. And that's totally fine too. So we do a lot of that, right? Naming it, normalizing it, and then talking about it. And while camp is the bulk of the day, 80% of the day, 85% of the day is just play. Like we're doing those sports, we're doing the games, we're, we're doing all the things that you would see at any summer camp. 
And then the remainder is clinically informed bereavement support. So we have clinicians or grief specialists that are assigned to every bunk, and they help facilitate peer support and clinical activities to give the kids coping tools, to give them language to their feelings, to help them kind of bring out of themselves what's going on, to be able to express themselves in a way that's going to then allow them to practice those words, allow them to integrate it into their lives in a really healthy way. And that's the whole point, right? Is to take all of this thing. We can't fix grief. You would use that word earlier, right? Like we're not going to fix grief. Grief is a normal reaction to loss. It's just what it is. But we can help kids integrate that loss into their lives in a positive way. We can help move them through it to joy and success and happiness and a positive life, positive outcomes through their lives. And that's what all of this magic is intended to do is give them the tools to find their way through it in a positive way. Yeah. And I think honestly, the first video I saw on TikTok that did draw me to experience camps and to you was exactly that, that the grief, she said the grief, it never goes away. It -hmm. just, it's always there. And I can't remember exactly how she worded it, but basically what you're saying is so true that it just transforms and takes different shape because you're right. Even at that young of an age, I still, I already saw the first thing for me was I'm becoming a man and I need my father there to guide me in that. And I'm not going to have that. That was still very selfish, but I mean, honestly, grieving loss is selfish, right? Because we're losing something and we're upset about it, which is totally normal and fine. It's just, how do you deal with it? And how do you go about that? And, And you're right. I literally had those thoughts of like, I'm never going to have my dad there to help me grow up as a man, which luckily I had a lot of male role models. Luckily, my mom was there and she was a very good role model as far as telling me how to grow up and and what to do. And like she was experienced with that stuff. It's just that nothing replaces your dad. And then as you said, when I got older, it became, oh, well, I met my girlfriend, then girlfriend in high school. And we started dating and it was like, well, my dad never got to meet her, you know, and I love her and I want my family to know her. And she started coming around and then she turned into my wife. Then she turned into my children's mother. And then all of that just transforms. Even today, I still break down every now and then where I'm like, God, my dad never got to know Camden, never got to know Jameson, never got to know Caitlin, never got to know my wife. And then it's like my mom, she passed away when my wife was like nine and a half months pregnant. And it's like my mom never got to meet my daughter, never got to meet her youngest grandchild, my son. And it's like just that grief changes all the time, but it always stays there. And that's honestly why part of the reason why I want to volunteer so bad is because I'm like, I want to be around these kids so that I can, first of all, be that person that says, hey, I've been there and I know what you're going through because I've gone through it. But then honestly, it's almost like a selfish coping mechanism too. Of I never got to be there and experience something like this, pun intended, and I never got to release all of this that's inside of me. And it's like being there kind of allows me to do it on the adult end of the spectrum, because I know that there's going to be other volunteers there who have experienced loss. And I know that there's going to be great conversations for me, just like there will be for those kids. And then the rewarding experience of just doing something good, not only for others, but for children who... God, man, kids don't deserve to hurt. You know, they've done nothing that gives them. They haven't had a chance. If if you believe in religion, they haven't had a chance to sin for real yet. They haven't had a chance to do wrong for real. And it's like these kids just don't deserve that hurt. So if you can volunteer, if you can donate your money, if you can do anything to help experience camps, then to me, you're helping a worthy cause because you're helping children directly. And it's in a way that I think is underserved. So I don't know if you have those numbers available, but how many things are available for kids resources like this for kids that are suffering this loss? I mean, I I don't have exact numbers. There's a lot of bereavement centers locally in different communities. There's a couple other kind of weekend style camps around the country. It's out there. And yet it's interesting, just in the same way I said, most kids will tell you they don't know anybody else who's grieving and yet they're everywhere. Yeah. Even though I know about all these resources almost every caregiver or parent that I speak to that has found camp through one way or another will tell you, I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I couldn't find the resources. So clearly there's not enough. 
And more importantly, I think from us, and this is kind of one of the ways we've been growing as an organization over the last few years, there isn't enough just general education out there so that any adult that works with kids, whether it's in their schools, on their sports teams, in their homes, wherever they are, we want that experience, that knowledge, that awareness to exist everywhere kids are. It shouldn't have to be just in a bereavement center or in a program, although there should be more of that too, right? But as we know, there aren't enough therapists to go around in this day and age. And not every grieving kid needs therapy. It's interesting we find, and look, I I love therapists. I think they do amazing work, but Mm -hmm. there's different things that are needed for every kid. Like I said, every kid has an individual story, an individual need. Some kids just want to be around other kids who get it, who have been through it, who they know can, they can look at and say, I'm not the only one. And that's all that they might need to move through it in their way. Others, yeah, like, yeah, it might be more complicated than that. And they need other supports. But at the very baseline level of this, I would love for every adult, especially every adult that works with children in some way, to know the basics, to know the language, to know what to look for, to know that when there's a grieving kid in your classroom, that they could have been grieving from 10 years ago and they still will be grieving. They still might struggle on that math test one day because they thought about their mom during their math test, right? Just to have that awareness that there is no timeline to it. It's individual. Not every kid's going to emote in the same way that you think they should. There's so many kind of the 101 factors that I wish we could, not even I wish, we are trying to get into the hands of every person in this country, in the world, to build a a more grief smart society around kids so that they don't have to feel alone, so that they are supported wherever they are in the ways that they individually need to be supported. Yeah, I can easily relate this to the fire service and first response in general, whether it be fire, police, EMS, military, we're seeing a big push, a big change like that too, that you're going through where we say all the things that we see while we're out there doing our job can lead to major, major issues like depression, PTSD, a higher divorce rate than the general public, all of these things. And so I've had a few nonprofits on this show, season one, that talked about the outreach that's going into these first responders, because it's a very similar thing. We're a lot like children in the aspect of it's kind of selfish. We bring that stuff onto us and it's like, I have to be able to do my job. So I don't have time to deal with this right now. So I've just got to move past everything and just kind of get back into it. And it's like, of course, then enter the picture of things that kids can't do alcohol and drugs and tobacco and that kind of stuff. And then you cope with it in the wrong way. And then it manifests and leads into bigger issues. And it's like comparing it to parents or caregivers, these chiefs, these officers, the people who are in charge need to be able to recognize with their guys and gals on the front line that they're suffering with something and need that help. And so we're doing a big overhaul and a big push to make sure that every department has some type of grief system set up. And similarly, like you said, some people like me, it's like, hey, I've got my ways that I cope with it that are semi-healthy. I'm dealing with it. It doesn't bother me as bad as it does other people. So I don't need a counselor. I don't need to sit down. But 24-7, if we need a counselor, all we have to do is pick up the phone and say, hey, send me a counselor. And they're there. And then there's the coping mechanisms that they teach you, the healthy ones, the literature that they give you. And it's like, why aren't we pushing that as hard for our kids? Don't get me wrong. I understand why we're pushing it so hard for first responders. But why isn't this in every school already? Why isn't this in every physician's office already? So I like that. Like I see a whole nother route of pushing this business beyond just your normal camp. This is summer camp, but like you said, it's educational. And I see y'all doing that quite a bit already on the website with my three days of research. (laughs) Some of the really cool things I saw was like, tell your story and then answer these questions and submit that to y'all. What are y'all doing with all that information that you're gathering? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but where exactly is it going? I saw a documentary a 20 minute documentary that we can watch that I already did. (laughs) So just tell me where all that stuff's going, where you're heading on that. Yeah, we're really, we're trying to create a movement. We are trying to change. It's a a big, hairy, ambitious goal, but we are trying to shift the culture around grief for children, for everybody, but for children in particular, because that's where we focus on is to create that world around them where people aren't afraid to talk about it. They're not afraid to bring up the name Every grieving person I know will say the same thing about this. When somebody says to them, you know, and you hear their story for the first time, you say, and I'm going to ask you right now, what was his name? My dad. Yeah. Gary Kelly. 
that, right? And I don't know how, I I heard the emotion in your voice. Yeah. (laughs) Not often does somebody ask you, you might get to tell the story that your dad died or it might come up in conversation, but very infrequently will somebody say, what was their name? Yeah. And even that, right? Those little micro steps forward to normalize grief, to normalize talking about loss and death, saying the word death or died, all of those things that signal to kids and to adults that we're not afraid. We're not afraid to sit in this space. We're not afraid to bring it up. We're not afraid to ask you and hear the answer that you might offer, even if it's not a happy answer, right? That yeah. I'm here for. I will sit in the muck with you. I will be here for whatever you are in right now, in this day, in this moment. And that takes some encouragement. I think people are a little afraid of death and dying and grief because it's yep. scary. It's not what you want to happen in your life. And you, I think people feel like it's maybe contagious. If you talk about it, it might happen to you, right? There's all these, I don't know, who thinks. <laughs> so answering your question, by taking all of that content, the stories, the insights from kids and delivering them out into the world, we want to create a more grief-informed, grief-sensitive, grief-smart culture so that it's not so scary, so that people can talk about these topics that will open up kids, that will break down those walls of isolation, that will allow other people to share their stories. And it keeps going from there. Those strings of connection keep extending the more people do it. So that's yeah. what we're doing with all of those stories. That, you know, that is why we have TikTok. We don't have TikTok for any other reason except to create that awareness, build that normalization of talking about grief by watching. You're like, if you can see this eight-year-old kid do it, you can do it. You just did, right? So it's kind of trying to teach the world through the voices of the kids how we should be as a society. Yeah. Every comment on that video, that initial one was how wise she was, how beyond her years she was speaking and how she's dealing with things better than most adults that we know. And I mean, 100%, I would attribute that to the experience she's going through as well as, of course, you know, everybody's maturity level is different, but that is an amazing thing to see a kid be able to talk about that so fluently and just so like, I don't even know how to word it. She she could speak more eloquently than I can about all of those things, but you're, you're right. It's like a fear of, I don't want to say the wrong thing to this child because I am here and want to cheer them up. And God forbid I say something that now they answer me and is sad. And you're 100% right. Sometimes the conversation needs to be sad. Mm-hmm. Like yes. plain and simple, it's sometimes the conversation needs to be, it's okay to cry. Like it's mm-hmm. okay. That sucks. You're right. That's a crappy situation. You're right. Like say it, say it out loud, scream it. This sucks. It's not okay. It's not fair. This is a terrible situation. And then it's like, cool. Now that we said it, <laughs> how do we deal with it? Let's move yeah. on from it. Like you're you're 100% right. I would say that that is something that most people probably kind of walked on pins and needles around me of, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to elicit the wrong emotion from him. I want him to feel better. And it's like, you're not going to make me feel better. I'm 34 years old and I don't feel better about it today than I did the day it happened. So that is an important part of what y'all are doing. Absolutely. It's meeting them where they are. And to meet them where they are, you have to find out where they are asking the questions. How are you doing today? What do you need? And yeah. you know anything you want to talk about, just making them aware that, and this is again, with the volunteers at camp, with the adults at camp, the kids know that those volunteers are there just for them. Right. They're there just to be whatever they need them to be. And that's so powerful. That relationship between the kids and the adults at camp where they don't have that everywhere else. I mean, they have they might have amazing supportive adults everywhere they go. They might have great teachers and parents and all those things, but they all have other jobs when they're in that kid's life. At camp, the only job our volunteers have is to keep them safe, to give them experiences that will make their week amazing in whatever way amazing means to them, and to be there to listen. And we spend a lot of time listening and just being there to be, we call it being an exquisite witness to their stories, holding space and holding a piece of each of their stories so that it lightens their load. So obviously, I mean, I could talk about this all day. (laughs) I really could. And I know you have other things that are going to happen later today that you've got to get to. So I just want to kind of hit some of the important things. Like, first of all, the website, what is the website with the web address? Experiencecamps.org. 
Okay. And I know obviously anybody can go there, whether they want to sign up to volunteer, tell their story, find out more information, view the documentary, whether they want to send their child to this, they can sign up there. Just kind of briefly tell me, how do I know if I can afford it? How do I know if I can find a sponsor? Like, what do I need to do if my child was going through this right now and I wanted to send them? Well, here's the good news. It is free. So all of our camp programs are free to everyone who attends. We cover transportation where they can't afford to or need help getting to camp. We do offer buses and then a lot of kids fly. We actually serve it's 42 different states in the country, plus another seven countries around the world. So we're not going to let barriers of geography stop us from getting kids to camp. So it's open to everybody. Again, grades four through 12, anyone who has experienced a significant death loss. It's usually a parent, caregiver, sibling, or somebody else very meaningful in their lives in a day-to-day capacity. Yes. So experiencecamps.org is the website. The things we need most in terms of making this happen are amazing humans. That is what makes this go. So as I said, we have volunteer counselors. We have grief specialists that are clinicians, licensed clinicians, nurses, behavioral specialists, all different people that make this system work. We are especially always in need of male volunteers. That's something that has always been a little bit harder to lock in than the females. We we tend to get a plethora of women, but... It's harder to get men to come and, I don't know, shockingly open up and talk about their feelings or be around others. I was going to say, I guess maybe it's not as shocking as I initially thought, (laughs) but I come from with the fire service and everything else. We have gone through this time period so long of keep your mouth shut, get back out there, do the job, man up, it's fine, handle it. And now our whole mindset has changed as a department specifically, but kind of like the fire service as a whole to where it's like, hey, that's not stuff that we say. That's not okay. That language is not okay. Like we support each other. And if you need to break down, break down. So I guess for me, mindset wise, I've shifted to everybody is okay to open up and it's a good thing. But I don't know. Still, I would have thought there'd have been a lot of guys out there that would like to just go to a dude camp and help other dudes that are going through things. You know, I don't know. Well, there definitely are. There definitely are. We could always use more in terms of the needs to make that happen. And, you know, obviously, like I said, with camp being free, it's because we do a lot of fundraising and we have a lot of generous donors. So as much as this camp runs on magic, it doesn't run on magic. (laughs) We need the funding to, to keep making this happen. And the need continues to grow. The demand continues to grow. We are about three quarters, if not more, already enrolled for this coming summer, for next summer. It's November. And we have over 800 kids enrolled out of 1,200. Wow. So we know we're going to have a wait list. We know that we are going to continue to grow as fast as we can. We obviously need funding to be able to continue to do that and to be able to continue to build awareness and, and spread the programs even beyond camp. We call it going beyond the bunk. We're building new programs to meet kids where they are, even if camp isn't where they are. We just started a Minecraft program. It's a moderated server for grieving kids nice. that you can apply to and be in the virtual space with other grieving kids. And we continue to innovate to meet kids in any way that they can be reached to be able to have that support that they need in their lives. So those are the big things, right? We just want to keep this going, keep spreading awareness, keep encouraging people. And for anybody who's listening, tell your story, ask the questions, check in on the people you know who are grieving, even if it's been a really long time, just call them up around the holidays or around the different anniversaries and birthdays and say, I was thinking about you. Just wanted you to know that. Yeah. You'll be amazed at how far that goes and how meaningful that will be and how much that will inspire others to do the same. And it just continues to grow. Even if it doesn't feel like it means anything to them, even if they would just respond back with a thanks, it may have been all they needed. I can say that from experience where it's like, I don't have the time and the energy to talk back, but knowing that you reached out, thanks. Like I do appreciate it. So I I saw the legacy fund donation options, just regular donation options. So anybody, whether it's a a big business that just has a hundred grand to throw at this thing and they say, Hey, I want to open this legacy fund and have something really big. Or it's just a donor like me that's like, Hey, I got five bucks extra this paycheck. So I'm going to send that money in. What are we looking at to get you your Texas location open? I know one day you're wanting to come here. So do you need somebody with a big plot of land that says, Hey, here's, you know, 500 (laughs) acres you can have, or like, what do we need? would help. So we rent the facilities from other summer camps. So yes, okay, a summer perfect. camp that has capacity and, and weeks at the end of their traditional summer camp season, that's something we'll be looking for. We want to build up a great volunteer base. So we'd like to see that we have some 
interest from the area before we go into an area. And certainly if it can be a self-funded region, that really helps, right? Whether it's businesses, corporate foundations, individuals that we know are going to kind of rally behind this, that helps get it off the ground. So as I said before, we're opening our newest location in 2023, and then we're looking to keep going. So once we get that one up and running, it's on to the next thing. And Texas is a region that we are seeing a lot of need. So hoping we can point our our next laser beams that way and see what happens. Yeah, I want to be a part of it from here on out. Like I don't want us to lose touch, even if it is just somebody else on your team that's heading this up. Like I want to be a part of this for sure in any way that I can. So I'm very busy and I've got a lot of stuff going on. So it's hard for me to go to another state and do this. Not that I can't overcome that excuse and not that I won't, but being right here in my backyard, there's so much that I could do, not financially because I'm not a rich man, but things that I could add to it and just help and and give my time because it does, it means so much. So because it means so much to me, I know that y'all are doing some type of fundraiser we emailed about that you've got going on. I want to publicize that right now. We're going to put it in the show notes below this episode. We're going to post it all over social and beefy marketing, John, the marketer, small business origins. We're going to be all over sharing this fundraiser so we can help y'all out. Amazing. Thank you. It's also on our website. It's a crowdfunding campaign we do at the end of every year where we invite people who care about this cause and want to be our ambassadors to set up their own fundraising pages through this crowdfunding site. And then bring in new people, bring in new people that are interested in supporting this organization, learning more. So all of the ways that we could, I always say good people, know good people. So the yep. more good people that come into this and that are part of this, the better we can help more and more grieving kids. So we didn't rehearse this part out. So what you're telling me is I can go and create kind of like my own crowdfunding fundraiser on your site for this. Yes. That okay. would be really amazing. And then all of my listeners have to help me raise a bunch of money for this, even if it's just a dollar. I don't care if it's a dollar that you can put in, $5, $10, something. My listeners, I, I'm just, I'm going to encourage you, like, I've never gone out and said, hey, I really want y'all to give money to this or that as far as this podcast is concerned. But this is something that I truly want to be a part of for the rest of my life. So I am just so glad that we talked today. I'm so glad we had you on the show. We're going to mention that fundraiser. I'm going to get that thing going. I'm going to have it everywhere, blast it all over my social media. And I would just encourage every listener right now to please donate anything that you have, even if it's a dollar. Let's just help get some money in the bank for this. This is a great project. This is something like I said, I wish I would have had when I was growing up. So thank you so much for doing that and saying that and for reaching out. I wish everybody could get an email like <laughs> the one you sent me, which is the heart and the the meaning behind it. It's the way we make good things happen in the world when those connections happen. And I appreciate you taking the time and the intention to reach out and, and get this going. Absolutely. Wonderful getting to know you. And I, again, really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing so openly with me and everyone else. A hundred percent. No, it's, it's something I've kind of, yeah, I have dedicated myself to doing that just because it's what I do for a living and personal stories just mean so much to people. So before we wrap it up, I do want to say that it is absolutely free to support businesses and nonprofits. You don't even have to give a dollar if you don't have a dollar. All you have to do is like, share, and comment on the social media posts. As you heard earlier with Sarah, TikTok is driving a lot of business that way. The more that you trigger that algorithm by commenting and liking and sharing, the more you're supporting them, even if you don't have a dollar to give. So whatever it is that y'all need, just please blast it out there and give us all of that, you know, the social media handles, whatever can help you. That's not a monetary value for those who just don't have it. Absolutely. All right. So social media handles. Sorry. What? Um, oh, you're asking me. Sorry. Yes, it's okay. Hey, <laughs> I'm, it's been, are. it's been an hour. We're both tired. You've got other meetings to go to. I know it's all right. It's at experience camps. So at just like the website, camps. experience camps, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, if that's still around and LinkedIn, all the places you expect to find any kind of good content and exactly that share it, like it. That's also part of how we spread the word about grief. Right. So all of those ways that we're educating and normalizing, it can come through those posts. We have a lot of great content that helps to explain what to say, what not to say, all the things that help people be more comfortable with this topic. Absolutely. Well, 
Sarah, thank you so much for taking your time today. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for sharing the story of experience camps. And I hope to hear so many updates in the future about this. And I hope that we stay in touch. We will. We will. Awesome. Appreciate it. Listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Small Business Origins. You hear us every single week on Thursdays, wherever you get your podcast. Of course, on Thursdays when we have a new episode, you can listen whenever you want to, wherever you want to. As always, we just ask you to please reach out to these guests, show them that you heard about them from the shows and that you're here to support them. Even if it's not a monetary thing, if you can't afford to donate, then please just get on their social media, like their videos. Trust me, if you like TikTok, you're not going to regret it because it is definitely a really good experience of videos because you'll have everything from laughing to crying to just whatever happens at those camps, you'll see it. And some of it will touch you in a, a very special way like it did me, I promise. And then others were just there to just make you feel good and wholesome about what's going on there. So check out all of our people we have on our shows. Make sure you support them because that's what this show is all about. But until the next episode, you're just going to have to stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it. 